Hey, this is Aaron Gordon. This is Evan Fournier. This is Jonathan Isaac. This is Mo Bamba. Need a new sports podcast? Check out what's new with the Orlando Magic Pod Squad. The hosts of characters give you a behind-the-scenes look at Magic Basketball. The Magic Pod Squad has you covered. Subscribe and rate on iTunes and the Google Play Store today. And welcome to another edition of Orlando Magic Pod Squad. Uh, getting back together here on the road in New Orleans. And we are pleased to have a, a guest with us, President of Basketball Operations, Jeff Weltman, kind enough to join us, uh, somehow got roped into this, so we appreciate you taking some time here. I, I think one thing that people need to know, Jeff, and, and JT and I see it, but we're on the road, we're in New Orleans, at some point I'm going to see you in the, in the workout facility. You are, you are, you're a workout fiend here on the road. I, I think people need to know that. He, JT, right, he, he gets after it on the road here. He does. He's got his own little routine that he <laughs> yeah. keeps and everything. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, you know what that means. I never work out at home. That's all <laughs> yeah, join the club. Join yeah, Dante's that way, too. <laughs> I never work out on the road, either. I got both going. Or, or home. Yeah, that's right. Are you, we're in New or- are you a New Orleans guy? You, you like the food? You like the, the ambiance of, of New Orleans? Or just tell us what you think of this city here, Jeff. Yeah. Well, actually... Uh, you know, my first year out of school, it was kind of my uh, gap year. When I graduated from college, I was supposed to work in the NBA, and the job fell through. And uh, I actually drove down here from New York, and I lived here for about uh, eight months. Did you? So that was that was over 30 years ago. But um, yeah, no, New Orleans is a good town, and you know, uh, it's very unique, and it's great to walk around and. A lot of good restaurants, so always always fun to come back. You know, we can't let him off the hook that quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We gotta explore this a little thank bit you, now. You know, you. like now you you could have come down, you could have waited tables, you could have been that's on the I street did. hustling that, money. No, 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 no. I, okay, I was uh, I was well, I was called if you want to know the title, apprentice waiter, which is busboy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> term. At a, at a, at a, at a very venerable uh, establishment here. I won't name it. And um, you literally had to work seven years as a busboy to be made a waiter. No way. Yeah. And um, for another uh, issue of the pod squad, I'll tell you guys some stories. But, did you have uh, to, did you have to water down the sidewalk after, <laughs> after everybody left? That seems to be popular. The, the quarter gets watered down often. Yeah. That's my favorite part of New Orleans, by the way, everybody hosing down their sidewalk. By the way, I had a gap weekend, you know, in 1975, <laughs> right. I went to, to the mall and enjoyed a nice weekend. George, beca- George became a server right away uh, in Orlando. But so David's a big Mardi Gras guy. Did you get to see Mardi Gras in those eight months that you were here? Yes, I did. <laughs> I <laughs> thought I saw David on a float. <laughs> You're not believing that, Throwing, throwing out beads. But yeah. <laughs> we have pictures. We have pictures. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Well, hopefully you got some rest here in the last couple of days. Just kind of catch us up to speed on, on what the last week, couple of weeks, or what your life has been like here the last week or two. Uh, well, you know, it, it really doesn't matter how many deals you end up doing. The preparation is always the same, you know, for the draft, for the trade deadline. So, um, you know, luckily, man, just having, having the staff that we have, I, I, I feel that, you know, that we're prepared, we're thorough, we try to explore every possibility and um, consider, you know, where our team is, what the future holds. And, and you know, these are a lot of uh, kind of weighty issues that keep you up at night, you know. And I know the night before the deadline, we got home at about one or two and um, I put my head down on the pillow and, and 
five seconds later, my eyes just popped open, and I was like, who am I kidding? You know? I, I got <laughs> out, and I just got my iPad out and started looking at some of the stuff we've been discussing. But, um, you know, uh, now, now I think that the team, you know, this is something that the whole league goes through, but when you're post-deadline, you can just feel it around the team, the, the relief and the shoulders are lowered. And, and I think that there's a camaraderie that comes in and the guys feel like now this is our group, we're together and, you know, we're, we're in a position to, you know, make a run at a playoff spot. And I think you see that on the court. I want to ask you, because Jeff talked about this on the air, um, how things have changed over the last, say, 10 or 15 years in terms of trying to make a deal because, you know, as Jeff Turner pointed out, you got all these complicated collective bargaining agreement rules, contracts, salary cap, does it fit? How do you make it all work? Uh, how much different is it now than it has been in, you know, in say 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, I think, I think that the um, salary cap was the first thing to really change um, the way that teams approach the deadline because now you're really looking for partners. And if you, if, if you have two parallel teams that are trying to make the playoffs, the odds are probably slim that there's a deal to be done between those two teams. But if one team is trying to go young and the other team is trying to win now, those are the kind of uh, you know, trade partners that you're looking to kind of suss out in the weeks leading up, you know, and even in the months leading out. And if you see a guy at a game, at a college game, you just chat, just, just trying to figure out what other teams are trying to accomplish and if, if there's a, a pathway to a conversation there. Um, I'll tell you, man, when you talk about the last 10 years, I believe that what's made trades really hard to make is um, just the whole component of social media and the scrutiny that everyone is under. And, you know, there are, there are a lot of deals that I felt, you know, 10, 15 years ago were potential deals because they were kind of, uh, you could see both teams kind of coming out um, with their agenda. And, and you know, even, even if you were kind of competing, well, these two are good players, but this guy would help more this, this, this way and this guy would help this team more. Those kind of discussions, by and large now, are so scrutinized and there's so much pressure to get it right and to win the trade that I think um, especially, you know, um, there's a new kind of generation of, of executives and, and ways of handling discussions that um, that really makes those those deals hard to execute you know and and and, and I get it I mean, there's a lot of pressure you know and, and second guessing and and uh, you know trade grades and all this stuff and you know the fact of the matter is oftentimes trades really won't won't derive results for years you know or or teams may feel that you know it might be addition by subtraction for things going on that fans or nobody might not about. even know about mm -hmm. but but you know these things get really more challenging these days for sure what about when information is leaked how many trades get quashed because it looks like a, a deal is going to happen and then you know somebody leaks information out and then all of a sudden one side gets cold feet and if things had been able to to be kept quiet, the mm. deal might have taken place. It wasn't me, by the way. <laughs> I did not do it. It was probably George if I it was not from it. It That's why I don't George. want to. That's why I sit in my in my office in the back and I don't want to know anything that's going on until it's done. What, is, what is your burner account anyway? <laughs> Can you give us that? Hail? I cannot. I'm wondering where you've been the last month. <laughs> I've been hiding. Uh, you know, um, we we try to be um, a team, and we speak about it a lot internally. That 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 other teams. Um, can trust and that they know that if we're having discussions they're not going to um, be seen anywhere heard anywhere and I think that they're they're 
you can kind of help yourself on the margins by doing things like that, by conducting business that way. Um, you know, some teams use it as a strategy. Some teams want to serve a writer, or it might be an agent trying to serve a writer. Um, but uh, yeah, for sure, that's that's a big element of discussions these days. And I can tell you for sure, from our end, that you know there are certain teams that we may say things to, and others that we won't. And we know we, part of this business is trying to know who you're dealing with, and what their agenda is, and the potential to you know muddy waters or how serious you know this thing could get and um, you have to weigh all that into the conversations and and that's one of the reasons that I think um, you know these these things can really go on for weeks and months and as you start to get, develop a trust level or you may already have one but even if, if it's someone who you're not familiar dealing with uh, you develop a trust level the, the longer you go and, and, and conversations are staying you know kind of below sea level then you, you start to understand, okay, that we can, we can have a real discussion with this team and really start to explain to them why this part of it doesn't work, why this is what we're looking to do. And um, you know that um, not just leading up to the deadline, but even past it, that that won't get out. So you mentioned earlier that deals between two teams that are battling for the playoffs or, or in the playoffs rarely occur. However, the deal with Philadelphia, you know, we're trying to make the playoffs. Philadelphia clearly is a playoff team. So was this uh, an outlier, this deal? And, and how, did, how did this come about that we were able to, to well, grab Fultz? Yeah, I think this is such a strange deal because, um, you know, Markel has been in such a, a strange situation. You know, I mean, I don't think any of us can really ever recall one like this. I know I can't. Um, you know, so, so obviously, you know, they're in completely win-now mode. You know, they just traded for, you know, a player who's, you know, going to be an unrestricted free agent, and now they have two key guys on their teams, uh, on their team that will become so, and so their, their chips are all pushed to the middle of the table. And, um, you know, for us, um, you know, I would say that we are trying to, trying to you know, make the playoffs right now, and we're, we're, we're it's something that, that I know our coaches are really focused on and our players, and I think you can see it in, in our approach the last few weeks. Um, but we're also still in the mode of, of um, you know, building our future, um, build, building our talent level, and so Markel is really um, kind of, uh, I guess to use your word, an outlier in that, in that he's you know, a 20-year-old with massive potential um, between two playoff teams. You know? But they've obviously had their own history and experience with Markel, and, and you know, we enter into that now with you know, the best of hopes. And what is, uh, did you, I'm sure you saw the outpouring of support for Markel here uh, or there in Central Florida, but uh, what kind of kid is he? We hear great things about the kind of person that he is and how, how much interaction have you had with, uh, with him and what, what can you tell us about him? Well, you guys know that, you know, it, it's never perfect in this league. You know, you strive, you strive to um, bring in good players and good people and, you know, there are always kind of like shades of gray and you have to, you know, understand the compromises and, and all the implications. But I can tell you that every, every bit of intel that we have on Markel, and I'm talking about going back to the draft, um, and certainly, you know, more recently, um, have informed us that not only is this a guy that, you know, consensus, you know, top three pick, most people I think had him number one, but the character to match. And um, worker, competitor, teammate, humble, you know, um, just kind of a rare guy. And, and I think that, you know, you guys are around our team a lot and you know that we have a few of those, 
you know, guys on our roster already. And I think, you know, as we kind of say in, 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 the, in the room, you know, I think he's one of us, you know, and that's what we're hoping for. And that's what kind of was one of the things that excited us about getting involved with him. So sure. what went wrong for him in Philadelphia, Jeff, in your opinion? Well, obviously, you know, that's, that's the $64,000 question, you know, and, and we'll have to experience that ourselves. We'll have to um, get our arms around it here where, where, where he thinks things went wrong, um, what went right. And, um, you know, I know that um, he's been um, rehabilitating in Los Angeles um, and, he, you know, he feels he's kind of towards the end of that progression right now. And um, obviously, uh, you look, look, when he played, you know, obviously he had issues with his shot and, and you know, his, uh, um, he was diagnosed with, you know, thoracic outlet syndrome. But it didn't affect the rest of his game, you know. I mean, like it didn't affect the way he moves or his athleticism or um, his 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 just natural ability, his vision and skill level and size and all that. So, you know, we're hoping that um, that you know if a solution can be found, and I think he sounds like he feels like it's already been found, and he's on the the road to recovery right now. That um, you know he can he can recover his form and, and be his old self. Jeff, I, as a player, I, I, I know there's truth in, in, the, um, in the statement that sometimes a change of scenery uh, can, can do you a lot of good. Um, the comp that's out there right now is D'Angelo Russell's situation. A lot mm. of people are saying, you know, the change of scenery helped him. Um, in your history, have you seen other examples where maybe a deal was done, a guy, you know, that you can give our fans that, you know, there's another – kind of a comparable situation that you've seen where a guy had a change of scenery and went on to um I think it's so prevalent in this league I think it happens every day it really yeah. does I mean every time a guy switches teams there's a change of scenery boost and and um you know uh, that's why I'm fond of saying it's 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 not who, it's when, you know, you know, it's not who you play, it's when you play them. It's not who you get as a free agent, it's when you get them. And uh, we all need a change of scenery. We all need to hit the reset button sometimes, you know, and, and I think that... Uh, I've been waiting for George to get a change of scenery. <laughs> I, like, I like my scenery. <laughs> I kind of like my Listen, scenery. Listen, sometimes too. there's nothing wrong with your scenery. <laughs> Some people point. are wired differently. Yeah, the, grass, the grass isn't always green. That's right. My, my grass is plenty green. <laughs> yes, green it is. Perfectly yes, it is. green. <laughs> So, but you know, I, you know, we're hoping that that's part of part of the solution here, and I think that for sure, um, uh, I, 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 one comes to mind, but I'm almost hesitant to mention it because this organization was on the wrong side of it. But um, you know, when I was in Toronto, we traded for Abaca, mm -hmm. and I know that you know he, it didn't work out well here, but but um, you know he he played well for us there, you know, and and I really do believe that um, that's not to knock anything because it's all it's not the outgoing it's the ingoing you know so you know um terrence has been terrific here you know they made a great deal on their end of the trade so it's just it's just giving guys um you know um, putting them in a new situation and, and obviously you know we've got our work to do and we're 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 really looking forward to getting our arms around markel how long like my my how how long do you keep an eye on like say markel when the draft is over and you don't select him and he's not on your team are you just is there somebody on your staff that has a certain responsibility as far as looking at other players and keeping an eye on what's going on 
And then when it comes time for the trading deadline, you have a better idea of, okay, we're going to go at target player A, player B, player C. How does that work for somebody that doesn't know? Yeah, most teams have a director of pro personnel uh, as one of their positions. And, um, you know, we're no different. So basically, if you were to divide players into two buckets, pre-draft and post-draft, um, the director of, of pro personnel would, would, would be responsible for evaluating all the post-draft players. That might be in Europe, it might be the G League. Um, it's kind of a, a you know, group effort. It's, it's a lot of guys to track, but clearly the guys in the league for sure um, are, 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 are players that we all track very closely and, and, and that would be under the director of Bill Pope, our director of uh, pro, pro scouting, yeah. There's been a lot of talk and we've mentioned it on the air and uh, um, sort of underneath the, the, the current of the Fultz deal that you have positioned the team very well, you and John Hammond, putting in a staff of, uh, of medical people, uh, player development people, uh, the training, medical, that whole staff. And, we, you know, we, we see all the new people, and we're not even sure sometimes what everybody, you know, what their responsibilities are. So kind of give us, well, makes us and, the fans, <laughs> and the fans an idea of just, you know, what, is that, what does that look like? What is Markel Fultz stepping into, and how do you feel you're well-positioned to help him develop as a young player? Uh, that's a great question, David. I, I really believe, and we talked a lot about this as we ha were having these discussions leading up to the deadline, that you know, this is, this is um, why you build strong organizations. You know, to be able to bring a guy like Markel who's had his own um, you know, experiences um, uh, in and, and really um, you want to have a, a support staff that's knowledgeable, expert, um, you know, broad, broad uh, skill sets across the board. But I, I think that it's important that um, you don't farm everything out. You know, we, we're going to bring in these five specialists. And, you know, that's not to say that you never consult. But I think it's important that if you can achieve that, then you keep it all, you know, in your family, you know. And so, so um I really feel that, you know, I know I talk, talk about this a lot and a lot of it doesn't really show up, but it really does matter, the strength of the organization, you know, from analytics to the performance guys, to the coaching staff, to the player development, that stuff matters greatly. And so when you bring in a player like Markel, who's young and who, who um, organizationally, we have to um, um, put in the best possible position to succeed. Um, you know, I don't think you. I don't think you look at deals like this if you're not confident that you can get him where he needs to get. So he obviously has been working with some people. He has people, or he had Philadelphia's people. Now you're bringing him into an organization that has an infrastructure. We have people. We want him to be in the family, as you said. Is there a conflict between, um, you know, his agent, people that he's talking to, people that he's been dealing with that have been helping him? Now they're put in this situation? Is that something you have to deal with now? And, and try and, you know, convince him that we want you in, in this organization and working with our people? Well, I think, you know, there are two parts of that question. I think the, the first part is the history of it leading up to, to us getting him. And so obviously, we, you know, we need to understand, you know, what he's been through and what that's looked like. And, um, and really what I think we need to do first is just listen. You know, we need to listen. And, and once we have done that and understand um, the approaches that he's taken, the, the, um, you know, the, the, the roads that he's gone down, the, the, the dead ends and the, and, the, and the ones that have, you know, 
um, you know, turned out positively. Um, then I think the dialogue starts with, um, with the people that he's worked with and that he trusts and that he feels have helped him and our own people. And um, eventually, I think that um, the, the skill level and the character of our staff will show itself every day. But that's not to say that we want to steamroll the, the process that he's been through, you know, and, and the people that he's worked with. So I think a lot of it is listening and partnering and knowing, you know, um, where, um, where we can kind of pick up what the good work that he's done and, and you know, grow it from there. Is there any way, is there can't be any way to know a timetable, right? I mean, you got to have these conversations. These have not all unfolded yet, right? And you kind of got to leave it open and after those you can kind of make a, a timeline for, for when you might get to see him out there? Yeah, 100%. Um, I mean, we're, 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 I think, completely open to um, whatever comes because we believe in the player and we believe in the person. And, you know, I know it's the old mantra, you know, we're not going to do it fast, we're going to do it right. But, I mean, you know, Mo Bamba, 20. You know, Markel Fultz, 20. Jonathan Isaac, 21. You know, AG, 23. I mean, the, the, the most important thing is to build a foundation of the way that we work properly. And so, um, you know, we have to understand what he's been through, as I said, listen and, and hear him. And then, and then, you know, look, I just have the utmost faith, faith in David Tenney and his whole group to, um, to digest the information, work with the people who have provided it, and form their own path forward, as I do with our coaching staff. So, um, you know, again, that's, that's, why, that's why we go out of our way to take a year and a half to try to put this group together. And, and so... Wherever that goes, it's going to go. Obviously, you know, uh, it would be great if it turned out to be sooner. But if it's not, you know, we'll 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 walk down the path and and you know have confidence that we have the the, the best people attacking the attacking it. Well, we got to get you out of here. We want to be mindful of your time, but mm -hmm. but you're going to leave in the next 24 hours. You're going to eat what here in New Orleans? Well, right now I'm going to take Kevin Tiller and we're going to have a little cheat session to go to Cafe Dumont because he's a big uh, cookie and donut guy and I feel go. like he, he can't escape New Orleans without experiencing no, that. That's for sure. And then uh, beyond that, I don't know. We'll have to see what the rest of the day brings. You know, I ways. hope nobody comes up to you and says, hey, aren't you David Steele? Because we've got this doppelganger thing going, me and you, because you, your wife says that, that she was approached in Milwaukee when you were there. And someone came up and said, oh, uh, no, "Thought no, you no, were no, Craig no. Council." So, so, so I get Craig Council all the time. The manager I mean, of the Brewers. I mean, all the time. Yeah, the manager of the Brewers, who was then the assistant GM. So when we were in Milwaukee, um, she walked into a a, a, a restaurant and saw That's him right. sitting with his back turned, and went up to him and said. What are you doing here? I thought you were at work. <laughs> and he turned around at her like she was a stalker. And, um, and so she, obviously she, she was really embarrassed. And she said, oh, my God, I, I can't believe this. You don't know. You, you look just like my husband. And thankfully, like in today's day and age, she, she was able to take out her phone and show pictures. And he said, wow, I really do look like him. But I got that all the time. And then when the Brewers made their run this season, I, you know, dozens of texts from my friends, you know, 
So the David Steele one was a new one. I don't know. Yeah, but, I don't but, know but, either. But, but Do you guys when, see When you guys it? sent it to the truck, it was nothing. So, you know. No, that's, that's right. It got a buzzer. It got a buzzer. I see Craig Council. I don't, I don't see David no, Steele. No, were you I, ever I the King really Baby or whatever they call, like the crown jewel of Mardi Gras while you were here? I maybe? never never got that designation. I'm hoping this year. I'm hoping this year, maybe. Fair enough. We're going to get some grilled oysters, and we'll let you get on. Enjoy those beignets. They're a mess. They're a mess, but they're a lot. Don't wear black. Jeff, are you a cafe au lait guy? with your bin, beignets or I mean you know we went this morning and yeah. so there was a there was a guy in our party that had orange juice you know I don't know oh, no, no, you can't like do that, that. <laughs> I think I think I think uh, they double the charge of the juice if you're over 12. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be 12 years old. Or under he did get it in a kitty cup. I noticed that. <laughs> yeah, okay. I asked for a sippy straw. They didn't bring me one. I don't know why. Don't know why. <laughs> was it you? It, it was you. <laughs> Orange juice. I don't and drink coffee. He's pointing to a... George Garvey. <laughs> Who drinks orange juice with beignets? I mean, that's a terrible combination. That's an awful lot of sugar. Nah, you can drink anything with beignets. All right, Jeff, we appreciate it. Good luck the rest of the way, and this will be a, a, a real fun 25 games. We're looking forward to it. Yep, thanks, guys, so much. I know I know our group is, is you know, really, really getting after it now. And I got to say, you know, the last thing, I, I think that uh, you start to pick up um, – these these good habits when you're when you're you know the value of just being in the hunt you know people talk about right. exposing young guys to to the intensity of a playoff game mm -hmm. and you know Jeff you would know this but I, I just think that this time of year waking up every morning having practice means something and you can see it on the court you can see it on the court that what it does is um, it, you start to serve each other nobody wants to be that broken that broken part of the chain you know and, and you can see it in the way that they practice and the way that they play. And I really feel that it's, it's a, a, a really, really important part of a young team turning the corner, you know? And I think that's something you even take with you into the summer, that you, you, when you start to feel that service towards your teammates, and you can talk about it and you can get coached, but it, now's the time that you have to feel it and go through it. And if you can do it, and if you can experience that, and you know, knock on wood, we can, we can you know, stay in this hunt for the rest of the season. Um, it's something that, that kind of changes your approach even over the summer and, you know, when you stay in touch with your teammates and your coaches and you kind of have an understanding of what you're doing it for, you know. So appreciate that. And guys, I, of the hundreds of thousands of listeners, <laughs> I, 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 I alone know how little went into the preparation of this podcast. And I really appreciate we, the professionalism. Literally, you we guys just sat down and started here. talking, didn't we, Jeff? I, mean, I, did, I did say tens, by the way. I didn't say hundreds of thousands. I said tens. Will you do this tens. again, or is this? Well, you'll go out of here and say, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? Like, whenever, whenever you guys make the call... Tap on your tap on the right the right arm and I'm coming out of it the It won't pen. be in this setting though for sure. This is the be, nicest place we've ever done. But we are going <laughs> to we are gonna get a a story, a busboy story in yeah, I didn't oh, yeah. know that. I'm Burton not sure Street. how many of those are relatable year. on a podcast. <laughs> oh, they're all relatable. <laughs> there was a seven-year <laughs> apprenticeship. That is amazing. That's actually that is. better than anything we've ever talked about, actually, <laughs> for any podcast. That doesn't take much. No, it doesn't. All right, Jeff, well, we'll do it again here in about two days. We'll call you again. <laughs> Great. I'll look forward enough. to it. All right. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thanks, Thanks Jeff. Guys. Jeff Weltman, president of basketball operations for the Magic. Well, guys, that was great. Uh, it's good to have a guest. Uh, you guys are fantastic co-hosts, but uh, I think he trumps us all yeah. when you can have the president of basketball operations come in and kind of, I thought that was fantastic insight and, and some light that he was able to shed on, on the whole trade deadline process. I, I, mm -hmm. I still have a lot. Everybody thinks it's like fantasy basketball, right? That you're just, 
oh, I'm going to trade this guy for that guy. And, and it, oh, well, well, like, go do it. Yeah, just, just go, go do, do it. Just yeah. go don't do get that. that. Well, that's what social media, that that's the pressure of, of yeah. all of this interest, yeah. I think. And it's hard. Or just I get an all-star for picks. Yeah. Just yeah. do that. Why can't we go get Tobias Harris? Or why can't we go get – it's just – uh, Marcus all it just doesn't work that way and I think it he provides a lot of insight of to what really goes down what I really I really liked about it was you know the uniqueness of the Fultz situation and how you know we, we that was a, that was a stroke of luck for us and opportunity I mean we were we were there we struck the opportunity but I mean how many chances we've talked about this yeah. how many chances do you have to get a talent a number one pick talent obviously Markel has tremendous talent and we have the opportunity to grab him and we did I think it's just tremendous and I, I loved his insight into how all of that worked I, I think people really need to understand too that this this whole change of scenery thing is is it's really real big it's a real deal I, I, I will now, say, how so how so JT well Cause I, you're right because you're right sometimes it this fit it's just not a great fit you know I mean Ibaka was a great example well, it was a great example, but I think of a young player like Markel Fultz, and you know, look at the situation that he goes into. They've really already kind of established that Ben Simmons is there. He's going to handle the ball. He has to to be mm -hmm. effective. Um, and I think, you know, from what we've seen is that's Markel's strength. Really, is when he had the ball in his hands right. and was able to run pick and roll on a team. By the way, the 76ers, who run the fewest pick and roll type sets in the NBA. Um, they just don't do it. So sometimes I think uh, good intentions to take him by the 76ers, but the fit maybe wasn't right. Personally speaking, I, you know, I long time ago. You're not criticizing the process, are you, Jeff? You're not, not saying the that process. the process no, no, was flawed in some no, way because the process, you, heaven forbid, by all accounts, forbid. was perfect. Right. 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 I think sometimes you go out as an organization <laughs> and you go out and you draft the best player you think in the draft. And that's sometimes I, I, I question that. You know, let's just take the best player available. You know, it's, there needs to be fit as well. Um, you know, I personally, you know, many years ago, I was drafted by the New Jersey Nets. Um, it just wasn't a great fit for me. It just didn't work. Um, and so Tennessee boy in Jersey, just Florida, Tennessee. It, it just guy. didn't work. It, you know, it was a big market. There was a lot of expectations. I'm not sure veteran why there team. were expectations. It was a veteran team. Um, and I actually uh, went went overseas to have a change of scenery and really discover kind of yeah. what who I was as a basketball player, what my strengths and weaknesses were, and develop kind of like my passion for the game again. And then I was able to go on and play seven more years in the NBA. So I think there's it's real um, that change of scenery and, thing. And so I think this would be good. And point. the player has to make want to make it work Absolutely. too, right? I mean, yeah. like you could tell, like if you want to go back to what Jeff was talking about with Serge Ibaka, you could feel that he was not present, right? I mean, could we agree there that yeah. he just was not? You know, Didn't he buy would, in. He he play in the game and he play hard and he practice hard, but you just you could tell that he just wasn't. He just wasn't buying in. Right, right. And then that's why, you know, and then he goes to a place where clearly he wanted to go probably, which was Toronto, which is why he re-signed there and everything else. And now he's playing great. That I think that has a lot to do with it. But too. Again, I think Markel fit, wants to. Right, with us. The fit just, it just wasn't didn't, it was good. weird, right. Yeah. Right. It was a well, weird can we, fit. Can we hypothesize on something? Because I love doing that just for the sake of this. But he mentioned something. They've talked with Markel, and, you know, he, he, he feels he's found it. He feels he's found something. Whatever it was that was ailing him, he made the comment that he feels, you know, maybe he's he's found it. If that if this is the case, right? I mean, can can we just talk about 
one, the remorse. Did you see the remorse from Brett Brown? Yeah. He looked yeah. like a despondent guy that realized they gave up a very good player. Good kid, very good player. But what this, what kind of a home run this could be for this organization if he's able to establish the player that he was in college? I don't think there's any question. Again, it's like Tess said, you know, on the day of the draft, you know, leading up to the draft, there was a reason Philly made the deal, gave up a pick to move up to that spot. Everybody in the country, all the GMs felt like, yeah. maybe except for Danny Ainge, yeah, right, right, sure. <laughs> felt like he was the best player in the draft. And then on from Danny Ainge's, if you think about it, they're point guard heavy, you know, at that time. I mean, they, they, they didn't have a need. They were drafting for need maybe more than um, sure, just taking sure. a, a player. Right. So, you know, yeah, I think this is – I just think this was a no-brainer. And Philly, Simmons had not played yet, right? Am I right. correct? One game. He had, had not a, been he, on the floor. He, he missed the year after the draft. So, oh, correct, you know, right, right, right. so they, they, they didn't really know exactly. They thought they knew about yeah. Simmons. But, in you know, in defense of Philly's move there to get Fultz, Simmons hadn't demonstrated what he is now. Yeah. So it's worked out well for us, for sure. Well, and I guess the last thing I thought it was interesting, I know we all feel that way, that being in the hunt – Right, just this time of year, 25 games left, and you're playing for something, right? What does that do to waking up, knowing you're going to a meaningful it has practice? To. Like, th okay, think about a us. meaningful game. Think about just us. We don't play, right? Right. right. And we're pretty jacked up to go to the game tomorrow night, right? Again, right. in New Orleans. Right. Well, you could see the difference in Atlanta right. Sunday night yeah. between the Hawks and the Magic. The Hawks yeah, had, right. I mean, you know, they're talented. They got some good young players, but their purpose, as Steve Clifford, I love it. You know, he he says purpose of play. They had no purpose. Of right. play, they're not fighting for the playoffs. They're going out. Right. They're playing. They're you know they're doing their thing, and they're you know they're pros and they're playing hard. They're playing well, but we had a much greater purpose in the game, and it showed during. And I thought that might tighten this group quarters. up a little bit. They've never gone through this. They're mm -hmm. playing free. They look they look dialed in. It looks to be enhancing their. Play. Would you would you say that that was our most professional and impressive win? In, the, in quite some time, given all the circumstances. I'm not saying who we were playing, but like we got, you know, we were on a back-to-back -back and they were on a back-to-back. -back. We were the ones that got in at 3 right. in the morning and we came out playing hard. Oh, I, I don't think there's any question it, it was. I mean, we, we had doubts, right? We yeah. were, you know, we wondered how they were going to respond because we knew how we felt, right. you know, on, you know, four or five hours sleep and, you know, being tired and, and the whole deal. So you, you wondered. I, I tell you guys, I, the reality, here's a, here's a real life magic example. And David, you know, you were in 93, 94. Um, when we missed the, the playoffs with Indiana and right. got swept. Last day of the season. Last, you know. Well, that that one was it. So, but the year we lost in the first round, pennies. Oh, oh, oh you're talking about. Yeah, you're talking about after losing to Indiana. Indiana. Getting swept by Getting Indiana. swept by Indiana. That was really uh, Shaq and Penny's first playoff experience. That one. Um, so you make for it. all of us, you right? Make for, it, but you get swept. We got swept, and to his point, now that summer work and everything, yeah. there becomes mm -hmm. just being a part of it and getting in. You know, whether we get in or not, but the importance from a player standpoint, now you can see it, you can taste it, you can feel it, and so you know the 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 hunger um, that Penny had, that Shaq, Nick, Dennis, you know, all, everybody, we were there in the summer, right? Because, you know, we're right there. We've got this. We can, you know, we want to get back. Um, we were embarrassed. Um, you know, I think those, those are, it's real, you know. It kind of fires up the competitive juices because you're playing for something a little different. Well, these guys were talking about two games in the middle of January where it was Boston and Houston felt like playoff games. Right. 
middle of January. Let's mm -hmm. imagine what this team would feel yeah. playoff games actually in April. That'd be that'd be fantastic. They need to know. They need to know what it feels like. They, need to know they what don't it feels know like. what that feels like. We have a lot of fans who don't have any idea yeah. because it's been what seven years. Seven years, right? So uh, you know there are a lot of a lot of new fans to the franchise that uh, that are going to hopefully experience that as well. So it, it's going to be fun. Two months of meaningful basketball. That's what we for. got. That's what we have left, right? It's almost exactly two months today, early February. The season ends in the right. first week of, of April. Well, let's keep it going. 25 games to go, and uh, we'll do this again. I'll call Jeff in a couple of days, and we'll do this again. Right? <laughs> no problem. All right. Make sure you get this boardroom, too. Yeah, this Fantastic. Is a nice boardroom. All right, guys. Beignets. Let's go get some beignets. <laughs>